Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning. Oh, that's fantastic. What a wonderful, powerful name we have in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You believe that? It's, he is here. His presence is in this house. And amen, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. It's part of the reason we gather together in this house, isn't it? To experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, the powerful presence, the wonderful presence of the Spirit of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's one of the, one of the reasons we're here in this place in this house. Last Sunday, I started talking about our house, this, our house and our home, and the difference, the difference between house and home. The house is the building. The house is uh, the structure. But the home is different. The home is the, the home is the structure after we do something with it. And we make it our own. We do that with all our places, don't we? You hang your pictures, you choose your colors, you decorate to your own likes, and it's the place where you're comfortable then. You show your true self, and you show your true feelings and your emotions. It's your place. That's why we call our home our place. And as, it, as it's our place, then we have a responsibility to it. We take care of it. And it doesn't matter whether we uh, rent, whether we own. We've got maintenance responsibilities. We have upkeep responsibilities. And that's the same right here in our home church. The building here, when it was built, when it was put together, it wasn't the church. Right, it wasn't the church until people gathered and made it into a home. We came and we, we got comfortable with this building and being inside and we personalized it to some extent and we collectively share now in the great benefits of having such a wonderful place. We're blessed to have such a beautiful place to come and to worship the Lord it is our place to honor him and to praise him. And it's our place where we can comfortably come with others and uh, join hands when we need to, raise hands to lift up the name of the Lord. We're comfortable to honor God and to worship and to praise and to learn from his word. We collectively share in those great benefits. And two, we collectively share in the responsibility to maintain this place and to, to keep it up. And we, we need to do that. We need to keep it, we need to keep it up. To have this place continue to uh, being a going concern where we advance the kingdom of God, where we present the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is a priority for us. That, that's really one of our first priorities, to advance the kingdom of God through this place that we call our home church. And to that extent, then, the doors aren't closed. Our home is open, isn't it? 
Our home is open to the lost and it's open to the hurting and it's open to the empty that need to be filled and it's open to the desperate and the hungry and it's open to those who are searching, searching for purpose or seeking to be fulfilled in life because they haven't found the true way to be fulfilled. They haven't found the hope in Jesus Christ. Our home is open to all of these so that we can build up this spiritual house, the spiritual place not necessarily the brick and the mortar, but the, the kingdom of God. That's our first priority coming out of this, the house and the home. It's a responsibility that's been given to us by none other than our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He put before us all the great commission, the commission to teach, preach his word, to get the gospel out there, and also to make disciples. That's building up the kingdom of God. And it's a big part of what occurs here in our home. And we're responsible then to keep the place in good shape and in good repair and maintained and ready for any and all who would come in. And of course, we must attend then to the daily needs and we do our best to do just that. And there's all kinds of ongoing things that must be attended to to run a complex this large and then there are times where the daily needs are, uh, they're extended. We, we have bigger things to attend to. And it's just like our, our homes that we reside in. There are times when it, things go beyond the daily needs. The roof leaks or the furnace breaks down or the water heater, the bottom drops out and it needs to be replaced. A plumbing pipe bursts. The, electro, the electrical system breaks down. Lights aren't working, appliances and such. And there are times when we need to consider these greater needs. And to do that, to do that in our home, whether it's the home we reside in or to do that here, We've got to be together. We've got to be unified in preaching and teaching and the ministries and the missions. All the church needs, it requires that we're together. If we're all trying to do one thing or another in the church, and by the church I mean this church, this local body, if we're one of us running one way and one the other, we're not going to accomplish much. We need to be united. Unity der derives from a shared vision and a, a common purpose. So if one of us has a goal over there and another over here, we're going to be stymied in our efforts to progress and to do what it is that we need to do to advance God's kingdom. Any coach of any team, he'll tell, he'll tell you that the team needs to work together any CEO of any company, what are they going to say? They're going to say the divisions, the groups, the departments, they have got to work together. I remember working uh, in the auto industry a good number of years ago, and I would be at meetings where manufacturing would be complaining. They'd be all upset because they'd say, oh, you engineers, you just cobbled this thing together and you threw it over the wall. That was the statement. You threw it over the wall because there was the wall. There was the wall between the engineering and the manufacturing. It was an invisible wall, but it was a wall nonetheless. You guys don't care about us. You do what you want to do, and then you toss it over, and you, you, now we got the problems because we have to manufacture it. So it's two groups that were just, they weren't working together. 
They're banging their heads. I remember being assigned to a task force once because there was a, a particular door system and the window motors were constantly burning out prematurely. So the company wanted to determine, why are these window motors burning out so quickly? So I went to a meeting, this task force meeting, first meeting, there's, I don't know, 30 or 40 people in this room, and uh, the person that was leading the meeting said, hey, who was here on the original design team? One person raised their hand. And that leader, he's like, ah, he's shaking his head. He says, that's our problem. I'll never forget this. He says, this is our problem. Our company doesn't have 75 years of experience. We have 75 one-year experiences. We're not working together. So out of this was born this great idea that they called cross-functional teams, and these teams were formed so that when something was conceptualized, a product was in its infancy, they had a manufacturing person there. They had an engineering person. They had a design person. They had an assembly person. They had a packaging person. All these different things so they could talk about things. Hey, what do you need? What, wait, wait a minute. If you design it that way, it's going to be a problem for manufacturing. Have you thought about this? It was eliminating issues, troubles, and problems before they ever occurred. Yeah, it was working because there was unity now. And to advance a cause, any cause, to advance a cause, there needs to be unity. We need to be united. When the Israelites came together to build a temple, their temple had been destroyed. They had been cast off to Babylon into uh, exile, but they came back. They came back to a home. They came back to a destroyed city of Jerusalem. Their capital was gone. And their temple no longer stood. So they wanted to build a temple. The book of Ezra speaks to this. And I want to just read one verse from Ezra chapter 3. And it's verse 1. It says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. The people assembled together as one. They had a mission to accomplish. They had a goal before them. And it was to build a temple. The people were as one. They were a unit. They were together. They shared a common vision and a purpose to build this temple where they could worship the Lord. So what did they do? Read the rest of Ezra chapter 3. They contracted masons. They called on, on carpenters. They paid people to go to Lebanon and get their wood, and they procured cedar logs to be brought. And together they worked, and they laid the foundation of the temple. And we need to be like those Israelites with anything that we're going to do. We need to be bonded together. We need to be unified as one. That's the way to advance any purpose. We need to be together. The New Testament church was as one. They were a unit in the city of Antioch a group of people that had a vision and a purpose. They were going to go out and they were going to spread the word of God to the world. Christ had given this great commission. Go to all the world. Jerusalem, Samaria, the ends of the earth. 
I don't know if that was burning inside them. We don't get all the details, but they were in prayer and they were fasting. Together, this church in the city of Antioch was praying and they were fasting together and they received a word from the Lord. And that word was set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Their unity together sparked the growth and the advancement of the church into Asia Minor and then into Europe. And the church blossomed, and then it exploded because they sent out Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas were joined by others in this purpose of spreading the gospel and building the church. Others like Silas and Timothy and Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. And then there was Titus and Epaphras. They joined them in this effort to make the church. It was Epaphras who planted a church in the city of Colossae. And Paul wrote to this church, And I find what he wrote can be an encouragement to every single one of us. Paul wrote an encouragement, I think, that that tells us to be united, to stay together, to advance, share a vision, share a common purpose. He wrote this early in his letter, in, in, in the opening chapter to the Colossians, and this is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Paul writes this, he writes, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all All things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, this passage is beautiful. It wonderfully, beautifully depicts the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image of God. He is the creator of all things. He is over heaven and earth. He is over every power, both natural and supernatural. He's over the visible and the invisible. He's above the angelic and the demonic. All of it is under his authority. He is the head. He's the head of the church. And Paul goes on to tell us he's resurrected The stone's been rolled away, we sung today. Jesus Christ is resurrected. He is the firstborn raised from the dead for eternity. He was the first one to do that. And over everything, Jesus has the supremacy. And then Paul writes this phrase, in him all things hold together. And to me, that speaks to the foundation of unity. If we're to be together, if we are to be united, the first, the absolute priority is to be in him. To be in him. What does that mean? It means that we have made Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives. 
that we live for him, that we follow him, we follow his ways. We might read in other passages of Scripture things like, put on Christ, put on Christ Jesus. So there's a picture there. There's a figure of speech. Put him on like a garment. Wear Jesus like a covering. And that speaks to us then about how we carry ourselves around others. What do, what do others see first of you? They see what you're wearing. They see what you have on. Do they see Jesus? Do they see Jesus Christ? Are you emulating him? Are you in him? And we might read in other passages about our walk. Again, figurative language. Are we walking in the spirit and not in the flesh? We read in other areas. And that's, a, again, a picture, a figurative picture about how we present ourselves, how we carry ourselves among the world, among others. How do we present ourselves in our daily life? Are we walking as if Jesus is right there with us? Are we walking in his spirit? If we have put on Christ and if we walk in the spirit, then from home uh, to school to community and neighborhood to work, we present ourselves as emulators of Jesus Christ, as imitators of all that he taught us. And we can then say we're in him. We are in him. And we're together then with others who are in him. When we come alongside others who are in him, this likeness of Christ that we share is, is a catalyst for unity and bonding. For in him, all things hold together, cemented, bonded. And that all sounds great, doesn't it? It all sounds good. But putting on Christ and walking in the Spirit, this is abstract language. This is, this is figurative speech. Can we get it down to practical matters? Can we get it down to really what living is all about? And I say, yes, we can. We, we must, as a matter of fact. We can't just live figurative speech. And Jesus, our Lord, he brought things down to uh, our level. Now, sometimes he spoke in parables and he spoke in things that had to be interpreted, to be understood. But Jesus also brought things right down to a plain and simple level that we can all understand. Jesus said things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your, your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he, he said, there is no command greater than these. Now that's getting down to some brass tacks. That's not figurative language. Love your neighbor. Now, he was called out on that by the, by the scribe that wanted, to, uh, that wanted to catch him or trick him. You know, who's my neighbor? Well, you know, Jesus laid it out there. Everyone's your neighbor. Really, that's the essence of the story of the Good Samaritan. Who's, who, was, who was his neighbor? Well, was the one that helped him. You know, Jesus put the guy to shame who asked him that question. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. Love is preeminent. Love is preeminent in putting on Christ. Love is preeminent in our walk in the Spirit. Being in Him is founded in love. Why? He loved us so much, He gave His life. 
He gave his very life for us. And then our response is love because he loved. Paul wrote somewhat a, a, a summary in his letter to the Ephesians about this. In the first chapter of uh, the book of Ephesians, he informed these Ephesians that it was by their faith and the love of Jesus. So Jesus loved them so much, he gave his life, and now you Ephesians, you have come to that by faith, and what occurred? In in that first chapter of Ephesians, he says, you've been adopted. You've been adopted as sons, you've been adopted uh, as uh, children of God. That's verse five. And uh, they belong to the church, he said. And he said, that's God's body. That's the body of Christ. And God plans to bring this together, this thing called the church. He plans to unify it. He plans to bring it together in unity. And that's verse 10. And then he says, you Ephesians, you were dead in sin and you've been made alive in Christ. And you share in this thing that's called the body of Christ on earth. And Paul wrote, I want you to know, I want you to know this hope to which Jesus called you. And that's verse 18. They had been called to be in Christ's church, which God wanted to be in unity. So Paul had this theme somewhat started there in the first chapter. And when you get to the fourth chapter, he's getting... He's getting down to the practical. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the bond of unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So here again, we see this love. He says, make every effort uh, to keep the unity of the Spirit bearing with one another in love. So Paul was urging these Ephesians. He was urging them. And we can receive that same urging. We're Christians These Ephesians were people that had come to Christ. Paul had opened that up in the first chapter. He talked to them about how they had been saved by the love of Christ and they'd come to him by faith and how he gives them this urging and we can receive that same urging to show the love of Jesus to others and be united in this bond uh, of peace and be at peace with one another. That makes us worthy of the calling we received from Jesus. The calling which Paul again introduced in the first chapter, the calling to be the church and to be united as members of this body of Christ that's here on earth. We're all part of it. You know, this little body we have here, Bethesda Christian Church, it's, it's part of the great church which spans the globe and each one of us has a part in that. It's an amazing thing, but we've been called to it and we've been called to, to bring this kingdom on this earth, and we need to do it together. And Paul gives us some plainly practical uh, direction by what it means uh, to 
live as it were in him because in him all things are together. He says, be humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. If you want to hear the, the negative aspects of it, we've already, we're introduced to that a few, few weeks ago when Brother Barry Allen preached on New Year's Eve. He, he preached from later in Ephesians 4, which really just gives us the opposites, what not to do. Don't be harsh. Don't be unloving. Don't be hurtful. Don't be neglectful. Don't use words that tear people down. That's the end of Ephesians 4 and the beginning of Ephesians 5. Here at the start of Ephesians 5, Paul gives us the positive, the things to do, to be patient and humble and gentle and bear with one another in love. So what does it mean to be humble? Humility. Humility is thinking less of our own importance. It's being deferential. It's being submissive. Jesus Christ humbled himself when he became a man. He thought more of being with us. He thought more of being one of the creation. And he thought less of maintaining his supernatural glory. And that's our model for, for humility in life, Jesus Christ, for all. And all, the more so in the church, we should absolutely model that humility to the world. But if somehow we get in the church and think, well, hey, now we can be different. No, all the more so. And it doesn't mean that that, that, that demands passivity. It doesn't mean that we become some kind of a doormat. You know, in unity, there can be diversity. Earlier I said the church is open to all. And that's Diversity. In Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, there's male nor female. No, there's, that's diversity. All are welcome. And we can have differences. We can have differences of opinion. We can share different ideas. We can be open to other perspectives. And so long as nothing is sinful, we can be open to various ideas and thoughts. And humility says we listen. Humility says we allow someone else to express themselves and that we take the time to hear. I once worked with a, with, with a fellow, I'll call him a, a one-upper. Have you ever worked with a one-upper? You ever been associated with a one-upper? It didn't matter what you said to this person. Did not matter. He one-upped it every time. E every time. Hey, I bought a new Buick. Yeah, I got a Cadillac. I mean, it was just that fast. <laughs> and, and it didn't need to be the positive thing, seriously. And I'm not making this up. You could walk into, could walk in the office and say, ah, oh, I had a terrible time coming in this morning. I crashed my car. He'd say, oh, that's nothing. Last night, my brakes went out coming up the drive. I crashed my wife's car and mine. Yeah, it was, uh, it's like, oh, you know, I, I can't win. There was no humility. There was always had to be uh, the one-upper. No matter what idea, he had a better one. So, uh, Let's be humble. Let's be deferential. Let's be gentle and listen and patient. You know, Paul talks about being patient. Patience, patience waiting. Patience waiting without complaining. Enduring a, a trial without a complaint. And that's not just 
it's not just complaining to someone about another. You know, you're impatient, you go to someone, you complain about it. But nowadays, you know, that occurs digitally. It occurs online. It occurs through social media. And seriously, we need to be careful of that. You know, if you type up something, before you hit that enter button, this little finger right here. Reverend Barry talked about the tongue being the rudder, right? I think the next little thing is this little finger that hits the enter button. That's the next one that can, that can turn us to, to terrible ways because you hit that enter button and it's out there forever. And it can be hurtful. It can be even when you don't, even when you don't intend it to be. It can be hurtful. It uh, can be taken as bullying sometimes. So we need to be patient with, without complaint. That's, that, that's enduring without complaint. That's patience. And tolerating those who can't seem to follow instructions. Again, that's being patient. And I know that's easier said than done. I understand that. And, and it's an area that I have to work on personally. Because it often is easier said than done to say, well, I'll... I'll wait patiently or I will definitely listen. But Jesus modeled this for us. He modeled this for us and we should should take it to heart. We should see his examples, read the gospels. They give us great examples of uh, Jesus' closest followers arguing, bickering sometimes and Jesus being patient. He was bearing with them. He was being patient. Instead of rebuking them, he might, as he did on the night of the Last Supper, while his, while his disciples were arguing about which one was the greatest, Jesus quietly takes off his garment, gets a towel, he washes their feet. And is not that patience? Is not that enduring? He didn't, he didn't rebuke them. But he made, a, he made a great point to them. And God has shown us the utmost of patience. He's shown us patience in our waywardness. He's, he's shown us patience in our proclivity to uh, go off and leave the flock and do the wrong things. He's shown us patience. And the least that we can do is to show patience to a brother or a sister in Christ. It builds, included this little section by writing, bear with one another in love. Love, that's the ruling principle. It's the ruling principle of our home. It's the ruling principle of our church here, our home church. The ruling principle is love, and it's, it, none of us are perfect at it. You know, we are working towards that perfection. We might betray another. We might let someone down. We may tell a fib, tell a lie about someone. We may deceive another. We may talk about another person behind their back, bicker, hold a grudge. You know, whether we're on one side or the other. It's not bearing with one another in love if we just let it fester. You know, we can often justify betraying someone or lying about somebody or or holding a grudge. Well, because they hurt us or they did something wrong to us and uh, that's, you know, there's been some offense and oftentimes that brings this justification. But that kind of justification it doesn't uh, render our bad behavior good. Jesus said when we've been offended, 
Go to that person. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 18, they tell us about what Jesus taught. He said, go to that person that offended you. And if that person truly hurt you intentionally, you might win a brother or a sister. You speak the truth gently in love. Say, hey, listen, this is what happened. Did you... You might win them back. That's, that's the first step. Go to that person. You might find somebody just made an honest mistake. They didn't know they hurt you. They didn't intend to hurt you. And you, again, gain a brother or a sister. And you gain understanding. And you bond. And you become unified. Now, if you're angry with another... Again, Jesus said, that's Matthew 5, go to that person and reconcile. Before you even go to the altar and you make a sacrifice or you bring an offering, go to that person and reconcile with that person. Otherwise, you're going to be holding a grudge. Otherwise, you're going to be tempted to talk about that person. You're going to be tempted to gossip about that person. And it only makes the matter worse. We need to bear with one another in love. And follow these examples that we have from the Scripture, what the Lord teaches us about dealing with it. We're called to unity. We're called to unity in Him. And being in Him, this is how we operate. Because in Him, all things hold together. And it's my desire that here at this, our home, our church, that the body would be unified, that we would be together as as tight as possible so that as a house, as a family, we can do what we need to do to keep progressing and advancing God's kingdom and adding to the church such as would be saved, looking to him to help, you know, praying together, advancing together, taking care of this place together. And this morning, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. This morning is our customary healing service where we invite any to the altars who have a physical issue to be prayed for by the elders of the church, the laying on of hands and the anointing with oil. But this morning, if you're dealing with an area of disunity, if you're struggling with someone, if you're holding a grudge, maybe somebody offended you. You don't know what to do and you've been struggling even making that call or picking up the telephone or going to that person. Maybe you need to work on patience. It's just been something that's, uh, that's been a struggle. Maybe it's humility. Maybe you've been that one-upper. It, it's humility that needs some attention. Maybe it's just in general bearing with one another in love. You know, come and get prayer for that too. You can come down here. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know your issue. You can come down here and have an elder pray with you, join with you in prayer. And ask the Lord to help you on that. And I think it will make this body better, stronger, as one. As one like the Israelites in the time of Ezra. As one like the church at the city of Antioch. As one to go out and do what God would have us to do. That this place could be built up as a as the house of God. It's what we're called to do. So if you need to lay down an issue, come to the altar today. I want to invite our elders to come, please come to the altars so that any and all can avail themselves to the laying on of hands, the anointing with oil.
This is biblical. And it's something that we, um, we take seriously. God works here. God works through these channels of blessing. The elders of the church, the book of James tells us that. So, so don't be shy. Don't hold back if you need a touch this morning. God will meet you here, uh, right here at, at these altars in front of the church. And if, and if you don't need to, if you really are uh, at a place where you feel you don't need prayer, I just want you to keep an attitude of worship here and a prayer that we're unified in this sanctuary. Pray for, pray for the others that are coming up here. Pray for these elders that God and the, the, the Holy Spirit will work through them. Keep an attitude of prayer and thanksgiving and, and worship as folks are being prayed for. Let's just invite God's blessing right now. Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, work through every elder minister at these altars, Lord, at the front of this church, God, that you would use them as channels of your blessing, divine channels of your blessing. Lord, your word says if there's any sick among us, that they should come to the elders and be anointed with oil. And God, we, we are abiding by that, uh, that principle that you've laid out in Scripture. And so, Lord, we ask and pray that you would work through each elder. God, as we abide in your word, we just pray you'd abide in each one of them, that the, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead would indeed work through every single elder here as they lay hands, Lord, and that things would be solved divinely. Lord, that, that physical healings would be accomplished. God, that, that needs for, uh, for our attitudes and our help to be more patient and gentle and loving and uh, to bear with one another in love. Lord, that you would help to accomplish that. God, we just commit this time of prayer into your hands and ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name.